0: Well, it's time for our message. I encourage you to take out your Bible, which may be your phone today. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. As we talk about God's saving of our soul, and we do have notes in there for you. And you, know we're outside. If it's not convenient, that's fine. But um, I'll give you the blanks to fill in as we begin our study on First Peter, verse by verse. First Peter chapter one. We'll begin with verse 2, since we looked at verse 1 last week in our introduction. 1 Peter 1, 2 says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we got at his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So the message really is hope is here. Hope is here today. There's an ancient Roman saying that you hear sometimes even in our day that says, where there is life, there is hope. Well, that's a sure truth, but no certainty, since life is short. lived We don't last forever. A better saying would be, where there is life in Jesus Christ, there's hope here in the now and forever. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 6, 9 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Our hope is in a person who is resurrected from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ. And the reason that we can live above our circumstances and still experience joy in understanding who we are in Christ, we can know that joy and have hope and joy in the midst of difficulties that will carry us through and teach us how to walk in faith in hope in these troubled times it's because we have hope in all that god is and all that god has done in our past and knowing all that god will do for us in the future you know in times of trouble they've done a study recently during covid in times of trouble people have really turned to the word of god the american bible society and harvard harvard university's human flourishing program found a strong correlation between scripture, reading, and hope. Frequent Bible readers rate themselves 33 points more hopeful than those who barely read the Bible. On a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the most hopeful, Americans who report reading the Bible three or four times per week scored 42. People who read the Bible monthly scored 59. Those who read it weekly, 66 and multiple times per week 75 on the hope scale so Bible reading along with other forms of community meeting together in corporate worship and discipleship such as going to church or participating in a small group appear to contribute to people's sense of well-being and happiness according to the study the churches have an important and profound role in contributing to people's well-being in general and especially so during this time so the ultimate hope begins with the gospel and when we trust And we receive it, and when we embrace the truths of God's word as written and revealed to us by him, we possess within us the living hope, because we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. So I hope that you're thankful that you're saved today. If you're thankful you're saved today, say amen. Amen, that's right. The power, the first thing I want to emphasize on this outline today is the power of the Trinity at work in the salvation process. This is a very simple message. Peter's going to tell us how we got saved and the process and who were the people involved. So the first thing we see is the power of the Trinity at work in the salvation process. Verses 1 and 2 of First Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, remember he wrote this to those who are elect exiles, Jews and Gentile believers alike in dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Cithinia, which is northern Turkey today. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Today we're going to pause and reflect on what Peter says about what took place when you and I became a believer in Jesus Christ, and who was involved in the process. First of all, we see God the Father chosen by God. We are chosen, that's the blank there, chosen by God. It says they're according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Now in my younger years, I used to think foreknowledge was God being able to look down through time, since he's the beginning and the end of time, and see the decision that I was gonna make. But foreknowledge is much more than that. God was intricately involved in our coming to faith to himself, if you know Christ as Savior. In the deep counsels of eternity past, God set his love on people in a personal way. God determined before the world was created who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with who we are. It had nothing to do with what we would do. And it had nothing to do with our potential. It was God's choosing or electing certain people to be saved. And he did that solely with his grace and with his mercy. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Human human responsibility is that when we were given the gospel, we accepted or received it for ourselves. And so I can tell you, I don't know where free will begins and ends and God's election begins and ends. That'll be sorted out in eternity. But I know God was the agent that began the process. Then, second of all, we see changed by the Spirit. Changed by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit has a very very active role in this as well. We are set apart for God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of our sin, to open our eyes to the Gospel, to give us the opportunity to understand what the Word says, and then to receive the Gospel for ourselves. The Holy Spirit then adopts us into God's forever family. The Holy Spirit then begins the process of making our souls, after salvation, into the image of God. Isn't it great to know that we're children of the King, that we're joint heirs with Christ, and that daily, moment by moment, He is conforming us and shaping us and making us into His image? In Romans 8, it says, For those whom He foreknew, talking about foreknowledge again, those He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, those He would save, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom He predestined, those He called, those He called, He also justified. And those who He justified, He also glorified. One day, we're going to have bodies and mind just like Jesus Christ. As one of my professors at school used to say, wouldn't it be great that by the time we get to the end of our life, that there wouldn't be much for God to change, to make us into the image of Christ. And that's the goal. That's part of our responsibility, is to do our part in uh, conforming to Christ. God makes us into His image through the Holy Spirit as we experience life, trials and difficulties that come our way as we read his word as we gather together in worship and as we are under the preaching of god's word together in community god shapes us through the people we meet the circumstances of our life the parents that we have that we grew up in god doesn't waste anything but does all he can to use what we experience in our life to make us just like jesus christ The third thing we see, and this is the part that Jesus Christ is involved in, God the Father, Holy Spirit, and thirdly, the covenant, or the contract, or the promise to be obeyed, provided by the blood of Christ. See, when we obey the gospel, then he sprinkles us with his blood and takes away our sin. The word there in verse 2, obedience, means to hear under, or to, I'm sorry, to, yeah, to hear under or to hearken to do what it says. As we obey the Gospel and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to take away our sin, we've entered into that relationship with Him, a contract with God. It took the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary to buy us back, to redeem us, to have a relationship with the One who created it all, and created us. To summarize summarize and to make verse 2 practical, as far as God the Father is concerned, I was saved when he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. As far as the Son is concerned, I was saved when he died for me on the cross. But as far as the Spirit concerned, I was saved one night on October 7, 1972, at 9 o'clock at night when I heard the gospel and I stepped across that line of faith and received that gift for myself. Then it came all together, but it took three persons of the Godhead to bring me to salvation. And here, I just wanna say this, if we separate these ministries of these three components of the Trinity and bringing about salvation, we will either deny divine sovereignty or human responsibility, and that would lead to false teaching. This is why it's so important that we take very seriously to remember that man is a part of the process by the preaching of the word. He'll say that later on in 1 Peter 1.23 1 as well that we have a responsibility to share this very truth that peter is laying out so the application here is this god is committed to the process to conform us into the image of christ man that gives us great hope when we have a bad day when we blow it spiritually when we sin and do stupid things we know that god is still at work as we repent of our sin and turn to him god's still at work making us into his image well, the great news is that if you know Christ, then remember that God is in a moment-by-moment process through the resurrection power of Christ, shaping and conforming us to be like his Son. Second of all, the power of God at work to save us. To save us. That's the blank there. To save us. Look at verses 3-5 through 5 of 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy he has caused us that's an interesting word he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time first thing there you see we are saved by his great mercy by his mercy god didn't have to save us god didn't have to do that but because he saw we were sinners and he couldn't couldn't imagine living in heaven without us being there he made a way now mercy is not getting what you deserve we deserve judgment for the sin that we've committed but god sees our sin and he does something about it he can't ignore the sin because he's holy and he's just so he had to do something about it and he provided as you know his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us and forgive us of our sin. In verse 3, Peter may be referring to the words Jesus used when he talked in Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he told him, "You must be born again. By being born again, our spirit in our bodies that has the capacity to commune with God was dead. But by receiving Christ and the Holy Spirit coming in our hearts, that's our seat of emotion, that's the will of our life, We have been made alive spiritually so that we can overcome our sinful nature. We can obey God's commands as part of a new relationship with Him. This is where we get the living and lasting hope Peter is talking about in verse 3. This hope he refers to as a living hope is a hope that grows and grows and grows as we build our spiritual life over the course of time. Warren Wearsby says this Time destroys most hopes because they fade away and die, but the passing of time for the believer makes the hope we have in Christ more glorious in the end. As we grow older in our faith, as we grow more mature, our hope should uh, be increasing despite the circumstances around us. We're not only saved by mercy, but he says we're saved by the power. Third, second of all, by the power of Jesus' resurrection. The power and the ability to be saved comes from the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And then, Third, under this point, we're saved to an inheritance kept in heaven, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited that there's some things already there that I've deposited in the past that are waiting for me, and things in the future, because based on the works that I do, as long as the motivation is to glorify God, he is building up treasure for me, but it's guarded, it's kept. In verse 4, we see some descriptors about our inheritance that we will receive. Of some sorts in heaven. First of all, it's imperishable. Think about that. It cannot be ruined. It's undefiled. There's no stain. And it cannot be cheapened in any way. It will not spoil like fruit spoils in this life. It's never fading. And then it's kept in heaven for you. That word kept is a military term, meaning that it's now being constantly guarded, constantly shielded. The keeping is done by the power of God and is kept until you and I see Jesus face to face. It says there in First Peter 1.9, the last verse we read in our scripture reading, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When our faith becomes sight, we will uh, take all that that's inherited, that's for there waiting for us, that's guarded with our name on it. That's as important that all of us remain faithful to the Lord until the end. Until the end of the world or we pass away from this life, whichever comes first. We're to live as sojourners. We're to live as pilgrims. Just passing through with the knowledge that God is guarding our souls. And he will be our protector in this life. Matthew 28:20, 20, a verse that we say at the end of the service. The last phrase it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the hope of the Holy Spirit walking with us through whatever we face. Hebrews thirteen five says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I've had a whiteboard up here and I could draw a math equation. I would say this the power of God plus the faith of the believer equals a home in heaven with an eternal reward. That's what Peter is trying to get across. So the application here is that God is to be praised for all He does to save us. I hope you think about that this week. All it took for God to bring us to the place of salvation, and then to keep us, and to conform us into his image. Well, notice in verse 3, it's all because God made it happen. Our salvation was planned and empowered by him. But then we see the last thing today, the power of faith at work in the midst of suffering. The blank there is faith, the power of faith at work in the midst of suffering. And he gets down to the nitty-gritty and how we're to live this out when we face difficulties, trials, tribulations, hard times. We all face those storms in life. First Peter 1:6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can rejoice for three reasons. One, trials are the revealing of the character of Christ to the world around us. It's like taking a lemon, and putting it into a vice and squeezing it, or putting it into a juicer and releasing what's inside. When we're squeezed by the tribulations of this world, it should reveal Christ working in our hearts and our lives by our response. Another reason we should rejoice in trials is that God is at work. He's at work in our life, removing the waste, the dross, to make us more and more into the image of Christ. Many famous sculptors when they see a block of stone before they begin they look at what needs to be removed to reveal the masterpiece that they want to be seen in that block of stone. And that's what God's doing. He's chipping off the dross of our life through tribulations. Three, we, we can rejoice because we have a hope that these trials and tribulations are temporary. Christians are responsible to respond to trials and tribulations in faith. Faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith acts on the content of theology and produces conduct that corresponds to what we read about and the theology that we study. Faith makes theological security something we can experience. The Apostle John said, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. This kind of faith or living hope, can enable believers to rejoice even when they're called on to suffer grief through all kinds of trials peter stresses here that christian's joy is independent of our circumstances so the next thing we see is that suffering reveals the beauty the beauty of god's redemptive story it does because it shows us every time as we go through trials and tribulations that God is going to walk through that and he's going to take us out of it and he's going to make us better for it. One commentator said that when you and I go through trials and tribulations as believers, that God keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He determines how hot to make it and he determines how long is necessary. And if we rebel against what he's doing, he may have to reset the clock. But if we submit he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long. The important thing is that we learn the lesson he wants to teach us, and that we bring glory to him alone by our response. Peter illustrated this truth here in these verses by talking about a picture of a goldsmith. You know, goldsmiths, they take um, ore that has gold within it and they take it and they put it in a smelting furnace and they melt it down until they can remove the parts that are not valuable and uh, have that liquid gold and pour it into some mold to make something beautiful uh, like jewelry or something else. But they say that in the Eastern parts of the world when these goldsmiths burn or melt this ore down and find the pure gold, they know it's pure gold when they see the reflection of their face in the liquid gold before they pour it out. So you and I, Our Lord keeps us in the furnace of suffering until you and I, we reflect the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Just as a goldsmith will test gold to see if it's genuine, so is God. Through the various difficulties of life, testing you and I in our faith to see if it's real. You know know you're a child of God if God decides to bring trials and tribulations into your life. Warren Wiersbe said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted and then suffering suffering reveals our enduring faith until our faith becomes sight look at verse 8 as we wind down here today verse 8 though you have not seen christ you love him though you do not see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory trials are necessary from time to time in a believer's life sometimes they're brought along to teach us special lessons in our life that in any other way we could not learn, not just from reading the Bible or being with other believers, iron sharpening iron. He has to bring these trials in so we'll experience him in new and fresh ways. Sometimes trials come into our life because of discipline, because we've been disobedient, he wants to get us back on track. Sometimes trials and difficulties come to prevent us from sinning. I didn't think about that until this week when I was studying. Think about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you know the story. He talked about the thorn in his flesh. and How he prayed to God three times to remove that thorn. And God refused to do it. Why? Because he wanted to teach Paul to depend upon him. That his grace was sufficient for everything. And he said, if I had received the healing, I might have become proud in my ministry. So the trial was to keep Paul from sinning. And sometimes trials in our life keep us and prevent us from going off in the wrong direction. Trials are different varieties. Not No two people will face the same trial in the same way. The Greek word here means it's multicolored. In other words, each trial and tribulation that we face is unique to each and every one of us, much like you take a diamond and you put it up to the light and you turn it, and when you turn it, it reflects different rays and colors As you turn it's multicolored, so are trials and tribulations. 1 Peter 4.10 reminds us that God gives us grace as we go through each trial and difficulty, and his grace is sufficient for every need. 1 John 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, multicolored grace. God's grace matches up with whatever trial and tribulation you're going through. Trials can bring grief or heaviness to our lives as part of our human experience. At 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I often read this at the funeral of a believer at the graveside. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are dead, who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We have hope beyond the grave because... Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and trials are always controlled by God just like a thunderstorm that lasts for a short amount of time and then they're gone so are the trials and tribulations in our lives Peter gives us three ways to respond when faced with difficulties verse 8 we need to trust in Christ when we're in the midst of trials and difficulties verse 8 says we're to rejoice in Christ verse 9 receive them as from Christ Charles Spurgeon used to say that famous evangelist, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Where do you find heaven for your soul outside of going to Jesus Christ in the midst of the difficulties? In verse 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Let me just unpack that before we close here, that we are, we are filled with his glory. It, re- it reads in Isaiah chapter 6 that when Isaiah saw his vision of the Lord high and lifted up, God was high and lifted up, and in the temple it was filled with the train or his glory In the vision that he had. The glory of God means the sum total of all that God is and does. Glory is not a separate attribute or characteristic of God, such as his holiness, wisdom, or mercy, everything that God is and does is characterized by glory. He's glorious in wisdom. He's glorious in power. So that everything he thinks and does is marked by glory. He reveals his glory in creation, as I mentioned from Psalm 19, in his dealings with the people of Israel, and especially with his plan of salvation for lost sinners. So you and I, when we are born for the first time, we're going to fade away just like this grass. This grass could die. A flower fades away. But God's glory inside of us through the Holy Spirit means that we are prepared to have that glory until we reach eternity. The last verse we'll look at today is in verse 9. It says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. For those who love and believe in Jesus Christ, salvation is past. He has given us new birth, as it says in verse 3 of this chapter. In the present, through faith, and shielded by God's power, we're kept, we're protected in this life and the life to come. In future, it is our inheritance, in verse 4, which will be revealed in the last time. In verse 5, this is the goal of your faith. Since each day brings us as believers closer to that final day, we are now receiving it, all of this, in spite of persecution, which deepens and demonstrates one faith is certainly cause for inexpressible, and glorious joy in our hearts and lives. So our application is this, our faith is in the hope, is in the hope of all that God is and what he uses uses in our lives to prepare us for heaven. Faith in the hope of all that God is and what he uses in our lives to prepare us for heaven. Again, he doesn't waste any, any opportunity. Our application is this, our faith is in the hope of all that God is and what he uses in our lives to prepare us for heaven. And so, to transition here is we are born again for his glory, kept for his glory, being prepared for his glory through a variety of trials in this life, and we can find joy in living in God's glory now today. The key thought is this. Are you in amazement of all that God did to include you in his redemption story? I want to leave you with that this week. I hope you think about back to the time when you came to faith in Christ. Maybe you can't remember the time or place or the exact situation, but there was a time that you knew that you knew Christ as your Savior, and it's good to remind ourselves of those things. A couple years ago, we were on the road. We were traveling somewhere, and I stopped, and uh, we wanted to get a hotel, so we got on one of those hotels.com or something like that, and uh, we reserved a hotel about 20 minutes away, and uh, so my wife and I, we got in the car, and we drove there. And lo and behold, we got there. We weren't in their computer. This was like 1130 at night. And uh, they kept checking and checking and, and nothing. They had messed up our reservation. And finally, by 1230, somehow it came through from the company that was supposed to send that reservation to them. You know, what matters most is the fact that when we come to the end of our life, that our name is found in the Lamb's Book of Life, that our reservation is certain and sure no matter the trials the road leads home from the hymn for the road leads home by dr james gray it says this for the road leads home sweet sweet home who can mind the journey when the road leads us home who can mind the journey when the road leads us home let's bow for prayer Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to know you as Savior. Lord, we thank you that we could pause today and reflect on what it took, the process, who was involved. It took all the Trinity. It took God's Word. It took faith on our part. All that together, the gift of repentance that was given to us so that we could turn away from our sin. Lord, I pray today that we will just revel in the fact of all that you've done for us. Help us not to take our salvation for granted. As Peter lays us out in the backdrop of this great letter, may we uh, be mindful of the inexpressible joy and the fact that we're filled with glory through your Holy Spirit. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.